everyone, welcome to this week's edition of Rugby League Batch. I hope you're all safe and well again and keeping yourself active. We'll try and entertain you for the next hour or so. I've got two people who certainly have many stories to tell from their time in this great game. To my left, as you'll be looking at it, from Costa del Sheffield, the best town in Rugby League as we speak, <laughs> we've got Mark Aston and Mr Challenge Cup himself, the one and only John Keir. Gents, thank you so much for joining me. Really appreciate it. We've, uh, we've had a few technical gremlins this uh, morning, trying to get it sorted, but we're all sorted now. First and foremost, how are you both at the minute? I'm, I'm struggling with the weather. And uh, you struggling. I can see Tug is looking well. He's obviously <laughs> been toiling outside in the garden. So, uh, yeah, I think we're OK. You we're must okay. have had some fake tan on, Mark. You must have. <laughs> I've got a, uh, a sunburn. No, it's, uh, the weather's been beautiful, hasn't it? So I've been doing a little bit of DIY, uh, painting fences or sanding down. But it's always been, it's been outside, so I'm, it's been great. It's been great for the last month. I've had enough now. I'm ready to start work. How how much are you uh, missing rugby, John? It's uh, I'm itching, and I dread to think how you must be. Yeah, I think basically. I think what this has brought on to us is that human beings are very social animals. And uh, at first it's, it was a bit novel and so on. But as the weeks have worn on, you, you do miss being in and amongst uh, human beings. And from my perspective, why I've been in rugby league so long is because I love being in and around teams. And uh, you just miss the banter, you miss the dressing room camaraderie. You miss the stresses and strains, the planning and preparation. So there's all sorts to miss, but we've just got to sit tight until we can get back out there. And when we get back out there, I think we'll all appreciate it much, much more. Can't disagree with that. I uh, I have a good idea what both of you two were doing on Sunday afternoon. Uh, I imagine it involved sitting in front of a TV, watching BBC One, reliving that brilliant, famous day for Sheffield Eagles when you beat... The Wigan Warriors. Mark, am I wrong? Were you, were you watching on? I had a little sneaky peek, yes, definitely. I, I actually chilled because the weather was, obviously, to keep the tan up, I'd have to be outside, but the weather wasn't good, was it? So <laughs> I sat down and watched it. I've got to admit, I sat down and watched all the games and, and thoroughly enjoyed it. Because when you're not watching it or uh, involved with it, then you certainly, certainly miss it. To get the fix was certainly uh, much needed. John, you were the star of the show, not only the Sheffield game, but the OFC <laughs> game. You're on the commentary for the for the Leeds Wigan game as well. It must have brought back some tremendous memories for you. It was. I wish they'd have paid me for the number of times I mentioned my name because uh, <laughs> I'd have made a bob or two then. But uh, yeah, it, it was a it was a great afternoon, wasn't it? And it shows how much you, you do miss it. But you know that that Sheffield May the second, nineteen ninety eight. It's etched. In my mind, it's actually in Tubby's mind, I'm sure, and, and all the lads who were involved because it was a special, special day. And whenever we see each other now, we, we can't help but talk about it to each other. And yeah. whenever we look each other in the eyes, we, we know we've got some special, special memories and we achieved a, a mighty outstanding achievement. Yeah. I'll, I'll start with you, Mark. What, what are your fondest memories of the day? Not just so much the game, because I know that speaking to people have been involved. It's a lot more than just what happens on the field, isn't it? Yeah, it's the, it's the build-up. And, and I would go back to 
JK coming into the first pre-season training session and saying to us, boys, we're going to go to Wembley this year, we're going to win it. And this is the first session of the season before we've even started, you know, pre-season. And uh, you've looked at him and thought, hmm, has he lost his marbles or what? You know, and that, we had a bit of banter about it, but it's been he planted the seed. He would have the gin. <laughs> but it, it, it planted the seed, you know, and, and then obviously the detail and, and the things around it. So we got together every time there were a draw on. We got together, we had a chat. Who do you want to who do you want to play? Where do you want to play him? It was like it was like the story were written for us, you know. And and I remember being in the room, the, the team meeting room and uh, quarter final time and uh, who do you want? Cass, where do you want him? Cass. And it came out as the draw, you know, Cass at Cass, because there were a number of obviously Cass kids who, who were playing for Sheffield Eagles at the time. Uh, so that was specially, oh my word, you know, it's destiny, This we, we can achieve this, go to Cass, people remember it for different things. I thought it was a cracking game, was Summit to Baller, were outstanding, Keith Senior, Flat and Barry John Mather, great punch, you know, there were lots of excitement <laughs> in there and it was, it was a classic game. And then we're back in the room after we beat Cass and, and um, John says, who do you want, where do you want them? Well, there were London, I think, London, Wigan and, and Salford. Uh, Salford please and where do you want them? Let's get them at Edenley and it came out. What he forgot to tell us that we'd probably be 18-0 down after 20 or 30 minutes in the semi-final, you know, which was a bit of a, a bit of a shock to us to be fair, but because we'd, we'd, we'd believed in, in what it said to us from the beginning and we thought that we could achieve it and everything was going in the right sort of direction, we found a way to win that game. And and we're, the resilience and the, the the togetherness and you know our attitude got us through that. And then listen, it didn't matter about the final. We were going to win that because he told us we were going to win it all them months ago. So, uh, but the, the detail of and the preparation of going down to Wembley, going and walking around the stadium, and you know again little things that stick in your mind is I want you to walk up the stairs and practice lifting the the cup, you know. We think he's certainly lost his marbles now. He's, he's off his head, isn't he? But we did it. We did it, and we walk up the stairs, practice lifting the cup, and 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 you know again, the day was was sensational, and, and we had people. I always remember Barry Johnson coming in talking about the tunnel coming out of the tunnel. Don't get involved with the crowd. Keep your focus. And I remember myself banging the ball in my head and thinking, don't look, don't look. Somebody always said to me, what was the music? And I still to the day can't remember, you know. I was that mm. focused, that intent on what, what I had to do and not get involved with the the atmosphere. And, um, you know, people, a, a woman called Anne Thompson came in and, and did some, uh, some mental preparation for us where uh, we'd lay in a, a dark room and... Um, and basically, someone would go to sleep. To be fair, <laughs> I always remember one or two of them snoring. But it was, it was, you know, it was, it was special. The preparation, the lead up to it, uh, obviously coming out of the tunnel. But there were no way they were going to beat us. John had set the 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 the, the planted the seed, you know, six months ago, and, and they'd have to shoot us down dead. All of us to beat us. I think if we'd have lost three or four players from from getting sent off, we'd have still beaten because we'd have just done what needed to be done when it needed to be done at that time. Yeah, the, John, the, 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 go on, John. 
the talk about my people being in the zone and they were like a challenge cup switch for all the players. And all of a sudden they just they just switched on and they were ready to play in the weeks building up to it. And you know, people like Gareth Stevens, who was an unsung hero, he played at Castleford and he had a great game. Johnny Lawless pulled out at the last minute. Rocky Turner started at nine and, and Gareth Stevens came off the bench and had an absolute top game. And and Bright Sodji in the semi-final also, because Keith was suspended, he played. So the, the players contributed and there was that switch of focus. But I, the players deserve massive, massive amounts of credit to Matt. But the, th- the biggest thing was, they didn't know how good they were. You know, there's, there's yeah. Tubby who's there. He's an international halfback. And as a kicking game, there was nobody better in, in the competition. The two prop forwards, Paul Broadbent and Dale Lawton, I want to swap them for anybody. And what it was mm-hmm. a matter was getting them to believe how good they were. You know, Keith Senior, Paul Carr. And, and once they started to believe that they were good, they, they just took it, they took it over from me. I went in there, they thought I were bananas. And then gradually, they built the belief, built the belief. And on match day, it was a matter of pulling them back. Because I'm sure Mark will tell you that, you know, John Lawless and Rocky Turner, they were shouting in the tunnel, 98, it's our year. And uh, it, they were really wound up back. But... They were also they were also controlled and and as to he says Barry Johnson played a great part in that and the sports psychologist Ann Thompson did as well so we prepared well but they executed brilliantly and they were a good team. So John, just to pick up on a few things Mark said then. So when you said that they were going to win at Wembley and when you made them practice going up the up the stairs and lifting the trophy, was that you trying to build that belief? in the team, as as you were saying, you needed to make them believe how good they were. Was that all part of the big process of doing that? Yeah, it was. Uh, you know, in, in sport, it's you win games in the top two inches because the, the, there's very little physically and tactically and technically between elite teams. So if you're going to win something or win a big game, it's the top two inches that, that will do that. And that's what we had to switch on. And that's what they switched on with. And the game, they executed it brilliantly because none of our lads had played in such a game as that. Yet for 32 minutes, there wasn't one error. And everything mm-hmm. that we'd written on the tip sheet, those guys uh, just carried out to the nth degree. The, the bloke sat in the middle and he was magnific- mm-hmm. rightly won the Landstock Trophy because that game plan, he must have been reading it every set of six. You know, kick behind Bell, turn him, make him to keep coming out of there. When we're in there 20, sit it on Robinson's head and we'll challenge for the, the high kick. Let's keep setting a point on the right, moving it to the left for Senior and Carr. And it, they were just brilliant. They were absolutely brilliant. So they, they need massive, massive amounts of credit for what they did. And, and I was just so proud and privileged to be associated with. As Steve Deacon was the assistant coach, was tremendous. Simon Worst, not the conditioner. We were just so proud and privileged to be part of it. And I'll tell you what, afterwards they were pretty good as well. But we'll keep that well, to we'll ourselves. Get, we'll, <laughs> we'll get on to that, don't worry. Don't, Mark, Mark the, the game itself, you took that lead and as John said, you just flawless for, for half an hour. We, we you all... Pinching yourselves at that point when you amassed that lead, or, or were you so in the zone that it was 
keep going, keep going, keep going. We, we, we never had any doubts. And as John said, I mean, the meeting the night before, which were again, what a, what a special meeting where the forwards and the backs had separate meetings. Now, it was great for me because I was sat in them both. So I could listen. There were tears shed. People speaking about what they were going to do to let us achieve our ultimate goal. So that was special. But actually, the game plan was on point. And as John said, he's got to take the, the recognition for that and the, the applause because... What he what he asked us to deliver, we delivered. And when it's working and it ain't broken, then don't try and mend it, you know. So so we did, and, and we, we, we just grew. And as John said, we were a good team. There was no doubt about it. We just needed to believe that we could win. And, and I think that as as we grew into the from the beginning, from when John said it, as we grew and we grew, when it came to the day, in that honestly, in the in the tunnel. It never entered my mind that we would lose that game. Johnny Lawless at the back, the 98, the year of the Eagles. And I, I swear, I mean, they scored eight points. What was it? It was, it was 11-2 at half-time. They couldn't break us down because we just did what we had to do when we had to do it. And look, Wigan, you look at the players they've got in the team, you know, they, they could play football, they could do whatever they wanted, but we were desperate. And it just shows what you can achieve uh, if you believe. What did, did you sense it on the field that the Wigan players were fearful, apprehensive, nervous? Did you, did you sense that in them? Uh, to be fair, in the tunnel, you sensed it. They, they were arrogant. They just thought they would turn up to win the game. And you could sense that. And we were on point. We were ready to play. And, and as I said, the, they'd had to, honestly, they'd had to shot us. They'd had to shot us dead to, to, to get through us, to, get, to, to, to win the game. But you could sense it in there. And they just got the swagger. They just thought they could. And they didn't realise what it meant to us as, as, a, as a special group, special squad of players that wanted this more than anything in the world. And, and again, I've got to say, it just shows that if you give 100% and actually stick to the plan, which again is, is part of it, that what you can achieve. John, I think I called you Mr. Challenge Cup at the top of the show, and I don't think many people had uh, disagree with me on, on that one. But that game, you've also got this reputation of being the absolute king of an underdog story. They, you've got many to tell. Um, is there any doubt that that's the best underdog story that you're involved in? And, and additionally, is it is do you thrive having that reputation? Yeah, I do thrive having that reputation. And yes, that, that's the biggest single one. There's no doubt about that, uh, Matt. As, as, as Mark's just mentioned, th their team was a stellar team. Uh, but we absolutely nailed that performance. But they the nailed all the campaign. Uh, and I, I felt it started the previous season because we went to Wigan and we only lost 22-12, I think it was, in the semi-final of the Premiership. And we did them a scare then. And that's what made me think, these guys can play. We just needed a tweak or two. And perhaps that was the signing of Dave Watson to partner Mark in the halfbacks the signing of Michael Jackson for a bit of extra strike out wide. But we just needed tweaking and them to believe, to realise how good they were and what they could achieve. Because I still maintain any team now would be happy to have Paul Broben at eight and Dale Lawton at ten. 
I'll tell you, any team in the Super League because they were fantastic. And were they led indeed? Mark was so smart. He led with the thought process and just implementing that and keeping everybody in. And as I say, we had strike. You know, Keith Cena, mm. what, a, what a reputation he's got within the game. And Paul Carr inside him, he wants about either. So, and Wasavata board. So, we were good and they played absolutely outstandingly well. It was a, an amazing game. Sure, we've got some more to talk about that after a short break, but we are going to have to take a very short break. We'll be back for more chat about the Challenge Cup and all sorts of rugby league related matters after this short break. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the second part of this week's Rugby League Back Chat with Mark Aston and John Kia. Mark, I'm going to have to give you a moment in the spotlight. We haven't mentioned it yet. You did win the Lance Todd. What was that like? Yeah, it's obviously special uh, to be to be announced the the player of the game in, in such a, a an iconic uh, stadium and, and, and game was uh, certainly something special, but. It could have been one to seventeen. Let's be fair about it. Paul Broadbent, Dale Law, and Watsava Taboa. These are special players, you know. So, yeah, I, I suppose as John's alluded to a little bit earlier, that I, I delivered the game plan to, to, you know, to what would be expected. But these guys did the donkey work, you know. Paul and and and, and Dale were monsters, you know. And whatever I asked them to do, they did it. If I said run through that brick wall, they would have done it for us, you know, because that's the players. They were, they were tough. They were uncompromising, never took a backward step. And then what's happened to Boa? What about the when they flicked it over and intercepted the ball when it looked like they possibly a try? So, yeah, there were plenty of special performances, but, yeah, you know, it's something that, um, that I'm immensely proud of and that sits well. And every year we go to the Landstad trophy dinner and you see some of the greats that, that have also won the award. Would you have given him the Lance Todd, John? Yes, yeah, very much so. Very much so. I, I mean, it, it's tactical. It? Again, when I say it's such a special day, you, you, you've got to experience it to realise the magnitude of that occasion. And to be able to play in such a cool, composed way in, in such a on such a stage in a, a national sporting occasion, it takes a, a you know you have to be a very very special person to do that. So yes, he deserved it. But Mark's right as well to to, to share it around because anybody from one to seventeen could win. Even Linton Scott, <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I, I, I didn't put him on. You know, he was an unused substitute <laughs> in the Challenge Cup final. And the first thing I did after we went down, I apologised to him, but. I also said we had to win the game, and he understood yeah. totally, and he, he was as much a part of it as anybody else. And uh, you know, it was that camaraderie, that oneness, that really made it so special. And and we're still like that now because Mark still arranges some socials, and we all go along there, and uh, we bore everybody silly, but we still enjoy it, and uh, <laughs> we're we're still in touch, and that's what a special group of people can achieve, and it's what a special group of people can really live off those memories and enjoy the memories. Now, John, it was it was interesting watching you on the show because the, the suit was was questionable. 
for the uh, for that final. However, the Hull FC triumph, I somehow passed my mind. I'd forgot about it. You falling over the little advertising hoarding <laughs> after you'd won. Yeah. Let, can, can we talk about that? What what on earth had gone on there? Yeah, well, I turned around to look for the family in the stand and the, and the missus and I caught them and so I saluted them. But I stepped back as I did that and uh, I didn't realise what was behind me. So I fell over. I tried to make it look, you know, as if it were cold, calm and collected and just stood up and didn't bother. But I thought, that'll, you know, that's one thing to remember for. Yes, we bet we can with Sheffield. Yes, we beat Leeds with all. Little remember for me falling over advertising. Yeah. Great, great fall, oh. Great fall. Great fall. <laughs> You, you did you did style it out very well, putting the arms yeah. out. It, it did look like yeah. it was uh, it was orchestrated. Yeah, well, it wasn't that. I, I assure you, it wasn't, and it was styling it out. I, I assure you, but uh, in all honesty, I wasn't that bothered because uh, I knew too. once again that you know they'd won and and a, a special team again had won on a special day. I'd forgot how good that final was. It was an absolute thriller of a game. What? What do you remember of of that game and, and Hull winning the Challenge Cup? Well, it, it, again, it, 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 it was a great game, but the best game Hull played, you know, when, when they won that Challenge Cup was we absolutely walloped St. Helens in the semi-final at Huddersfield. They were red-hot favourites, Cunningham, Sculthorpe, Long, Jamie Lyon, they'd got them all out there. And we went there with a back line, all of English players and just a couple of overseas players in Kearney and, and Swain in, in the forward pack and, and McMenemy. And we absolutely took them to the cleaners. And my worry about the whole campaign was that we'd, we'd, we'd played our best. With Sheffield, they played the best in the final. I thought, how can the top play in the best in that semi? And that was always my worry. But they came up with an equally good performance against a Leeds team that I think they'd only lost two games all season. So... Again, it was a, a great game and a great performance by a very, very good team. And, and as you said, you weren't blessed with a, a team of bona fide superstars at, at the time at Hull. I mean, Danny Brough, I think he'd only just joined the club from, from York yeah. and had been playing in, in League One, hadn't he? So it was not obviously as unexpected as the, as the Sheffield victory, but and, and there were some great players in there. You know, Stephen Keeney played in the final and, and so on and so forth, Richard Swain, but... Nevertheless, to do it with some of the players you had and some of their stories, it was a tremendous achievement. It, it was, and, you know, again with, with Hull, you know, th- there was adversity in the build-up to that because uh, Sean Briscoe, the night before, he was rushed off to hospital and he had, he had his appendix out. So we, we had to rejig the back line and we named Motto Tony at fullback and Blacklock on the wing, but we actually played them the other way around just to... It was a bit of mind games for, for Leeds. But as you rightly say, we, we had some good players again, but Leeds had some great players. But they, again, they nailed that performance. And, and you spoke about Danny Bruff. I think Danny was only 21 then. And his kicking game was phenomenal. There was one set I particularly remember, and Leeds absolutely walloped us. We, we got the ball about 10 yards from our line. The walloped us. We'd only got to about 25 metres or so. Then Bruffy just jumped into dummy half, whacked the ball fully 70 metres. Richie Mathers asked to go and pick it out of his in goal, and we, ta- we tackled Mathers about 10 yards from their line. So they'd invested all that energy 
and Bruffy absolutely sickened him. And, and and players kept doing that. In they were smart, they were uh, they were committed, they were aggressive, and they executed the skill really well. And you've got to do that in games like that. And again, the whole players nailed it. I think the both of you when I watched the game yesterday, they, they won late on in the game. They kept going, didn't they? And it was interesting that there were a number of players, you know, Downs and them, come from Leeds as well, haven't they? So they've got a bit of, a bit of, you know, they wanted to show that, that they was good enough to play for the big team as well. So uh, I thought that that was evident in the in the game yesterday. Their attitude to play for the full 80 minutes, which if you're going to be successful in a final, you've got to play for the full 80 minutes. There's, there's no way yeah, around it. I thought all did that. You you know, Matt, you you made that tackle on. I know you weren't that fond of tackling, but you made that tackle on uh, Faz and prevented him yeah. scoring at, at Wembley. Yeah. And if you look at Richard Swain in, in the last minute of that game, and he's played 80 minutes as a hooker, they're setting a drop goal up for Kevin Sinfield. He flies out there, and it's that extra effort. That that's all you want from your players in big games like that is to do the little things but do them so, so well. And he flew out, charged it down, and that cemented the cup for us. Even though Bruffy had kicked magnificently, Paul Cook had scored that great try, and everybody contributed. But those little things, they just make the difference. As I alluded to with Mark's tackle on, on Faz, which was a great tackle over our line at Sheffield, and Richard Swain's effort there, those little 1% efforts, they make all the difference, and they add up to a complete performance. You've both had great coaching careers in, in you know in various different ways. Mark, I think Sheffield were the first back-to-back winners of the championship, I seem to recall. Um, a couple of well, 2012-2013, was it? Um, yeah, yeah. You won you won the 18-95 Cup, probably the only one of the only teams, if not the only team, to have gone to Wembley and been un, undefeated. Uh, John, you know, the, the Challenge Cup exploits, the Keeping Wakefield up, the Batley, I mean, that Batley in the top four was, was incredible as well. You've done so much in, in your careers. What For anyone who, who wants to be a coach and wonders how you become a good coach, I'll go to you first, Matt. What, what makes being a good, successful coach? You know, it's, it's management, managing the players, their expectations, but also, you know, being honest with them. The honesty is, is a big thing for us, and building building a good culture within 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 your own environment. And I think that uh, you know the the selection of getting the right players is important of it. But certainly being honest and, and straight with players, you get the respect. And I, I think that to get respect, you've got to give it. And and I'd like to think that that you know it's one thing that I've always done is give me players respect, and and I ask a lot of them. But they understand what we're trying to achieve, so you know it's it's important that you get your recruitment right. And I I know that you know the the first few years at Sheffield were tough because uh, there wasn't a lot of players about. But when we got it right, and you alluded to it with the 2011, 12, and 13, we got to three grand finals back to back. We had a great culture, and we had we, we kept a bit of continuity within the squad. But uh, the manager themselves. So the big thing is that you get the buy-in and you hand it back over to them and then they take the ownership of it. And and I think then when you get to that place, it makes coaching a little bit easier. When I've been 
at the years after uh, the tough years is when you haven't got the personnel right, you haven't got the, the buy-in and they don't want to deliver what you want to deliver, then it becomes tough. But you know, certainly the management of players and, and the respect and you know um, the culture is a massive thing for me to get the best out of them. When you get it right, the satisfaction that you can sit back have a glass of gin like Johnny's this morning and let them take over. That's that's a special moment. And I think what John said about winning finals is you've got to hand it over to the team. And when you've done that, you've got a team that can perform, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I think, Matt, that T- Tubby's achievements have been tremendous as a coach because uh, the Sheffield Club, it had gone uh, mm. after that ill-fated, shall we say, merger. Uh, mm-hmm. It had gone. And Mark stood by it and he resurrected it and he rebuilt it. And and that's a coaching achievement, you know, in, in the fact that it, he's done that. And then the longevity to be there for so long. People always say, oh, you, you've got a, a lifespan as a coach, three to five years. Well, you know, Toby's been there a heck of a long time, 20 years now. Yeah. And, and oh, yeah. his team has consistently performed well. And what you've also to credit people with is, getting the maximum out of players because they haven't had the greatest funds. You know, they've, they've done it on a shoestring. They've done it moving grounds. And it's a massive achievement. And I, I think it's one that people don't realise. Unless you're a coach yourself, you don't realise how difficult it is managing all those different circumstances along with the different players and, and having to use a budget within that and still be successful where everybody just measures it which is on the playing field but there are other measurements as well which is obviously keeping a club alive initially for Mark and then obviously achieving success which he has done consistently since The the Sheffield I've I've got to ask you about Sheffield I mean it's been a crazy ride I I think I've watched you play about 25 different home venues and you've You've lost players here, there, and everywhere. You've you've brought players in from obscurity. Yet, as you said, there have been some testing years and, and maybe years where you've not done as well as you'd have liked. But then again, you've you've defied the odds on as many and probably more occasions than that. How how on earth have you managed to do it? But how have you managed to not tear your hair out at the same time with everything that you've gone through? Uh, well, I have. I've stuck it back on. Uh, no, <laughs> I think I think the the, the why we kept it alive is the, the most important thing. You know, for Sheffield to win in 98, the Challenge Cup, and then a year, just over a year later, to be gone, is absolutely ridiculous. And, and you know, did we have a massive crowd? No, but we had a nucleus of three to four to 5,000. This club's got that now. And and it was, you know, what was successful? We got to, before the Challenge Cup, we got to the semi-final of the, the playoffs. We got to the Challenge Cup the year after we had a, a tough year. Was it always going to be a tough year? Of course it was. We won, we won you know, a World Cup Challenge, uh, Toby, as well. We won a, exactly. So the success. And, and and again, Super League were only just beginning. If Sheffield, and I believe this personally, if Sheffield would have still been in Super League now, they'd have been a force up there. They'd have got the crowds. I've, the amount of people that come up to me in Sheffield now and talk about Super League is unbelievable. When you mm. go in there, Mark, I go. When you lot start coming and give me some money and supporting us and things like that, you know. But yeah. look, that's gone, and and 
I know that me and John had a few words out of the uh, out of the merger, didn't we? we? We had a bit of a difference, and it was tough for John. It was tough for me. I had invested a lot of my life into Sheffield. Not you know, I was 17 years old when I came. I've been in the schools. I, I know what it meant to. Yeah, we you know we. The objective of the club when we set it back up was I wanted to give a kid a dream, and I wanted to give a kid an opportunity to do what I've done. And, and, you know, when we set off on this journey, as anyone, we, we just threw a team together. We had three weeks to throw. We only got in the league as a new Sheffield League because Bramley came out. So, mm -hmm. you know, we put a business plan to them. They didn't let us in. We went and appealed. They didn't let us in. Then the third time, I said, well, I, I walked out. And I said, I'm not copying that. That's wrong. You know, we, we're doing it for the right reason. We've got a business plan. And look, luckily or unluckily, Bramley folded. So we got in. And we set yeah. off on this journey. We had three weeks to prepare a team. We ain't got a team. We ain't got a kit. We ain't got anything. But we started the journey with the objective is to give that kid a dream. And you know, the day and, and we've had some special moments over the last twenty years with Sheffield. But I always want. I always remember going down to Bawtree Road where um, we, we trained, and I'm still down there with the um, the, the, the main man out of Sheffield University, Sheffield Allen University. I said, I don't understand why you don't take this site on and make it into a facility for the university. And he said, I don't understand that either, Matt, because we, we pay uh, for renting places and things like that. They've turned it into a facility, and which meant we could start delivering our, our performance structure. And the proudest day, that, that for me, one of the proudest days was certainly when I walked down there, and I've got the under-14s Junior Eagles, I've got the 15th scholarship, I've got the 16th scholarship, I've got the academy, I've got the Sheffield Allen Eagles, which were the reserves, and I've got a first team, all dressed exactly the same in training gear. Now, that to me was very special, which is where we wanted to be. Uh, and, and our objective was to, um, to develop as own players. And people forget this. There's probably 40 or 50 kids now playing professional rugby league at different levels. There's Eddie Batty in London, there's Corey Aston in London, you know, there's, there's people playing at Doncaster, there's people playing in all the different, you know, competitions, which is great. I had three kids and four kids with Ryan Miller that come through our system play at Wembley last year. And that mm -hmm. gives me a lot of satisfaction, you, you know, Paddy and, and Greg Burns. And we got that taken away from us, which absolutely nearly took me over the edge. When they pull the, mm -hmm. the, 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 the performance structure away from the club, I, that was it. I was ready to go. I remember probably talking to John and other people. What am I doing it for? What's mm -hmm. the purpose anymore? You know, because, um, you know, we, we, we lost Paddy Burns. Paddy Burns went to Cass, for instance. He would have been the, the, the next big thing for Sheffield Eagles. Because we lost that, I had to stand in front of about 100 no kids and tell them the dream was over. They were heartbroken. The parents were all over me. And I'm saying, I can't do anything for you. What do you think happens to them kids? Do you think they carry on playing the game? Or do they yeah. walk away from the game? Because there's no dream. They can't get to Wembley. Now, luckily, you're Greg Burns, you're, you're uh, Paddy Burns, you're Blake Broadbents. They stuck at it, and they got the day in the sun last year, which made it all worthwhile. But I've got one team again now. It breaks my heart. I've got one team. I would run in six squads. And we could see a structure going through. What are the best kids, you know, and when people said to me, well, 
your kids aren't good enough. What? Mm. How do you mean they're not good enough? And they look at a league le- a league table and go, well, you, you're average of 40 odd points letting in and you're only scoring 10. I said, but what would score at half time? Because it's like anything, to build something, you've got to have a bit of pain. But bit by mm-hmm. bit, as long as you can see the steps being put in place. We were playing teams like Leeds and getting beat 16, 10 at half time. Well, mm-hmm. I knew we'd collapse ending now because I had a culture with experience. We knew we'd collapse. They get fatigued, they go, and then they get run, o- run over, which is what happened. But year after year, we got better and better. And I always remember um, Barry McDermott phoning me one day after Leeds had played Sheffield, and he said, Tubbs, you must be immensely proud of your kids. I think we got beaten 42-28. He says, but your kids were a credit to the club and all that. And I thought, we've made it. We're there. We're getting, you know, we're in where we want to be. 12 months later, it's gone again. So we've had plenty of adversity, plenty of kicks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've got to say to you, I never thought I would set up it again. I thought I was done. Mm-hmm. I, can't, I can't, mm-hmm. can't go through it again. But the appetite's coming back. The, the little bit of sparkle in my eyes is coming back. I can't wait mm-hmm. for the stadium to happen. Then I can set up the performance structure again. And if the rugby league don't want us to be part of it, then I'll set a centre of excellence up for rugby. And if then the player either called, then I'm doing my job and just giving the kid a dream, you know? Mark, I'm going to have to. Uh, well, I think you've stopped there anyway. Thank you for that. We, we need a break, though. We've uh, I've, I've run I've run horrendously over. We'll be back for more rugby league chat after this short break. Welcome back to the final part of this week's back chat. I think, gents, we're going to have to discuss the elephant in the room. Um, we've all had plenty of time on our side. You can tell that John has. He's got biceps as, as big as any of the props in Super League at the minute. He's uh, clearly been in the gym. But when are we going to see rugby league again? And, and specifically, when are we going to see championship and League One rugby league again John because it seems that it's logistically and even maybe financially problematic at the minute yeah it's very difficult isn't it because obviously I believe Super League will have to play with regard to their broadcast deal and that's probably behind closed doors and that's simply for safety's sake Uh, but obviously for championship it's completely different you need people to be watching to create that revenue stream with people through the gate, with the, the wet sales and, and the food that's in there, as, as well as selling the sponsorship. So it, it's I can't see any hope of the championship returning until well into July. And obviously only then it will be when it's absolutely when it is absolutely safe to do so. Because you can't risk people's health, you know, to play rugby. Rugby league's very important to everybody here and everybody watching it. But also, people's health is very important as well, and we've got to realise that and put things in perspective. But I, I don't know whether there'll be any promotion this year because I don't know whether we'll complete the season. I think it's going to be very difficult, and it really is a test of the people at the very top in the RFL to try to, to get some form of competition back that's meaningful so that we can make sure that... I think next year, 2021, is a vital year for the game 
not only for Sub League, Championship League One with the promotions, but also there's the World Cup at the end of it. And that's our crown jewel because that's when the national media are on it are on to it. And that's what we need to make sure isn't interfered with. And we need to make sure the players aren't overplayed before they, they hit that tournament as well. Uh, Mark, from a financial point of view, as John alluded to there, how do clubs in the in the championship make money if they cannot have crowds and spectators at their stadiums? We don't. <laughs> you don't, do you? I mean, you can you can work. Obviously, there's there's other points of it that you've got your corporate sponsors that might be on your kit, for instance. And that's it. If you're not playing, what happens to them? Do they pull the plug? You know, we, we've got a, a significant um, sponsor that, that does, you know, put a significant amount of money in, into the club for, for the front of the shirts. If he isn't getting what he wants out of it, does he start pulling the plug? So the, the ramifications is, is, is massive for, for, for us as, as small clubs. You know, Sheffield are only a small club. I, I talk about Bradford is a big club with uh, a massive fan base, whereas Sheffield are small. So we don't heavily rely on, on the the income through the gates, but we have luncheons, you know, we have luncheons where there's 200 um, guests that, you know, again, we might generate five or 10,000 pound out of it. We run golf days, but if you can't run them, then how do you survive? But the big worry has got to be is that if, if, if we can't generate the money through the gates and that, the big concern for money on the back of that, if we're not playing, then do the, the, the people who are on the kit sponsors then start pulling the plug and saying, we're not going to pay you next year if we've got another deal or I want some of the money back. So I think, you know, it's a, it's a massive concern. But again, I'm with John, is that, you know, people's health are more important than anything. And we're all missing rugby uh, and we, we want to play, but, you know, we've got to keep safe, haven't we? And uh, the address last night, I'm, I'm still trying to work it all out from, from Boris to how can we go out? Can we go How can't we? Can we see anybody? How can't we? But, you know, it's it's it's... You know, it's, it's it's a massive concern, but as you say, we we've got light at the end of the tunnel. Sheffield are going to have a stadium. There's a World Cup. The exciting times are going to be next year, so we've just mm -hmm. got to hang his nerve and and do what's right for the sport. But we can't afford for for clubs to be going by the wayside as well. So the support and hopefully the funding that's been the the the, the RFL's brought in will be used wisely. And and clubs will be able to access that, but for the right reasons as well to keep the the, the clubs. Uh, alive, I guess. Well, that's I think, on, I think man, 2020 will be a success if we've got every club intact at the end yeah. of it, and then we can look for next year. And and that's where I think we've got we've got this year is survive. Next next year is grow grow and blossom. And I think that's where mm -hmm. the attitude that we've got to have. We've got to batten down the hatches, every club, and make sure that we're there for next year, and we can really showcase it then. The, logistically, you've both mentioned health, rightly so. A lot of the clubs in this competition and League One are part-time. If the measures are relaxed a little bit and they can go back to work, how do we safely ensure that players can go on the field, can be tested, go and train, play, so on and so forth? How, how do we get to a position, John, where we can do that is it realistic for us to be able to do that? It's, it's, it's difficult. Logistically, it's immensely difficult. Uh, but we've got to be, we've got to think outside the box and use our common sense. 
and and try and, and fathom a, a way back, as as Boris says, you know, a roadmap back. But it's it's got to have those constraints of safety first. And sh and should it be that every time the players have to be tested, well, you know, that's an expensive thing. If you're testing every player for at the start of the week and at the end of the week before the play, that's a heck of an expense. So there's got to be some way of, of trying to do it. whether the vaccine saves it. I, I don't know. You know, they're saying that won't be fully developed till the end of this year, the beginning of next year. So it's a heck of a problem. But but as I said before, Matt, we've just got to be there. We've got to have the fortitude to be there. And the players and the coaches, we can all contribute to that for the owners by making sure that we we are realistic with our requests and and also. When it talks about contracts for next year, I, I honestly don't know what budgets clubs are going to have because, my word, they're going to be cut, I'll tell you, from what they've had this year. They, look, I, I won't lie, I've spoken to a, a few officials around championship clubs uh, in the last seven days, and there is a belief among quite a few that I've spoken to that the sensible and perhaps the only option right now is to void the season. Mark, as and John, I'll, I'll go to Mark first, as a coach but also in the position you have at Sheffield where you know you, you are involved in day-to-day in -day getting the club up and running along with Liam who does a fantastic job is voiding the season the correct solution the only possible solution that we that you know these competitions may have well again it, it comes down to the cost element if we've got to test everybody as John's just said there if we've got to test everybody can we afford that and I mean, for, for Sheffield, we haven't got a ground. So our overheads are quite minimal at the moment. It doesn't actually affect us as much as some of the other uh, the other places. But certainly, um, we talk about the health of the players and the well-being and, and uh, the mental health. And, you know, we've got to look at the fact that if they're going to try and cram out, we'll come back in July and try and cram three games in a week, what's going to happen then? So we've got to do the right thing by the players and, and not dilute the quality of the competition as well. If we have to die, if we have to avoid the season, then that's what it's got to be. I guess if we're not back by July, that's what will happen. Will mm -hmm. there is there an opportunity then after that to to do something else and and and, and have a little pre uh, a, a winter competition? I don't know, but uh, it's not something we want. But if that's the right thing we've got to do, we've got to be united, we've got to stay together, and we've got to get get through it. But again, it's going to have a massive kick-on effect for, for, for next year, as John said, with budgets and things like that. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's certainly it's not ideal. I think, Matt, we've got to be flexible in thinking. If we come back July, August, we might just say you play everybody just once. Right. Mm -hmm. So the four games have counted. You've nine games to do. You can have your players. But there's, perhaps there's no promotion this year, but I know obviously some people have invested massively in order to get mm. up this year. But you, mm. you can make a meaningful competition, but whether you can actually have the promotion relegation, I don't know. But as, as I mm. said before, this year's about survival, next year's about growth and to blossom and to end up with what, what I hope is a magnificent World Cup at the end of it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think one thing that you you've mentioned is maybe playing through the winter, which has has been mooted, obviously. But as John says, we've got a World Cup at the end of the year, and how do you piece together a season through the winter and then get the 2021 season going and make sure that these guys have the the recovery, the rest, and everything in between to be ready for the World Cup as well? Well, it's a different balance for us again. I mean, I've spoke to players that have got holidays booked in October. 
I have to tell them we've got to cancel them because we might be playing in October while November. <laughs> and then we do a winter setup. So they're booking up for November. We might have a winter season. No, you can't have that. When do they get the break? So we've got to be really sensible. And, and everybody's affected here. I know Matty James had booked to go to Thailand in sometime in October. I just said, mate, you, you can't do it. So he's had to cancel it and rejig and put it back to November. But actually, what if we're playing then? So uh, there's lots of areas that the unknown. And, and the sooner we can clear it up, the, the better. And, and give them it wouldn't be ideal. Winter, we've gone away from winter, we want summer, but I understand that some clubs will need revenue to survive that period as well. I, I think what we've to do, I, I think we've to say the end of November is the grand final date and work back from that. Because also players, their contracts finish November the 30th and they, they, they might not be retained at your club or you might sign others in and, and that would make it even more facile. But if you finish in November, you can give them the players off until Christmas then have a, a shorter pre-season, then we're back into it then. So the players have had a semblance of a rest, recovery, regeneration, and then preparation for the following season. So I, I really do. I, I think the, the, the powers that be have just got to be smart and they have to identify the timelines and fit something in without mm -hmm. overplaying the players. Because as you've rightly pointed out, Matt, in the Championship, the vast majority of players are part-time. They have to go out to work as well to earn money for the families as well as playing rugby league. You can't ask them to play three times a work and go to, go to work and be a joiner or a bricklayer or whatever. It's just impossible. Just, just to wrap up, John, don't know about you, but whenever we get rugby league back, it's going to be a very special day, isn't it? It is. It's going to be fantastic. I mean, I, I just I, I can't wait for it. Uh, and I mean, I used to moan about, oh, it's, it's game upon game upon game. I will never, ever <laughs> moan about having too many games at all. I promise you, that is a, a promise to anybody who employs me. I will not moan about number of games. When when you're when you've got a game on a Sunday and you've got an 1895 game on the Wednesday, I'll remind you of that comment. I won't but for now, that, gents, I, won't, I promise you. <laughs> <laughs> Gents, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Fantastic to get your views. Thank you for listening. Hope you've enjoyed it. We'll be back soon for another edition of Rugby League Back Chat. Take care.